Welcome to episode 271 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker and author of What Win Wine. Lose weight and feel great with paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, nurse practitioner and author of Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and cynthiathurlow.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. So, pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right, we're talking pounds of meat for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild caught. Their beef is 100% grass fed and 100% grass finished. Their chicken is free range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's filets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer 
and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash IFpodcast with code IFpodcast. I will put all this information in the show notes. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumer consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 271 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Cynthia Thurlow. Hey there. How are you today, Cynthia? I am doing well. How are you? We're like now we're three days before our vacation. So I'm like super excited. Yes, I am. I'm really excited for you. I can't wait to see the pictures from all the places. Are you guys big touristy people? Like, do you do all the touristy stuff or how do you approach a vacation? I think it depends. So my kids have, well, I should say we've been incredibly fortunate that even when our kids were younger, it was, has always been a big priority to expose them to different countries and travel 
And believe it or not, there's ways to do that very affordably. I think there's this perception that it's all like obscenely expensive. And and I think like a Disney vacation could cost as much as or even more than going to Europe. So as one example. So we find a balance, you know, to me, I always like to stay in places where it's not so touristy. Uh, you know, I definitely like like when we've stayed in Paris, we have stayed in areas where it's, you know, still wonderful, but you can walk right outside and go to a cafe. And, you know, I like to go to grocery stores when I'm there. I like to make picnics. I mean, to me, there's a lot to be said if you're really exposed to the culture. And so we'll do cooking classes and, you know, we'll still see some of the, you know, kind of iconic sites when we're in certain cities. But to me, it's a combination of togetherness and connection and being able to be exposed to different cultures and see museums. Like my kids, actually, if you were to ask them their favorite thing they've seen in London, as an example, they would stay Westminster Abbey. And so we're definitely a family that like to be inspired when we go on vacation, but I'm also not someone that necessarily wants to do a lot of tourist trappy stuff. You know, we like good food and we'll, you know, we definitely do our due diligence prior to arriving. Like we're going to be in Prague for a couple of days and where we're staying is like a restored monastery. So it's kind of got this cool vibe and everything I've heard about Prague is that it's beautiful and the people are wonderful. And I'm just looking forward to just exploring and, you know, not having too, too much that's planned. Like one thing I don't like on a vacation is feeling micromanaged, like, oh, every day we get up and we do this and every day we get up and we do that. And so there's built-in downtime, which I think is really important, especially coming off of the book launch. I feel like I owe my my family a lot of family time and connection. And I feel like there hasn't been as much of that over the last six months. Are you going to Budapest? We are. We're ending in Budapest. And I'm super excited. I was talking with a friend, actually my the girl who does my hair at the salon this week, and she was going on and on about Budapest. And she said her favorite thing there was, have you heard of the Bone Chapel? Yes. Are you going to go there? <laughs> I like the creepy, morbid stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And it, it's interesting because we had the we had the ability to stay longer in Budapest, but I, we opted not to just because of the proximity at the time we were booking this with the Ukraine and all the unrest that was going on there. And so I, I just said, okay, well, we'll just be in Budapest for like two days and then we'll head home. But the heading home part is a little less fun than the going to because it's, you know, Budapest doesn't fly direct to any major place that's close to where we're going. So we have to fly to Paris and then Paris to Boston and then Boston to our new hometown. So it'll be a long leg back. But I kept saying to the kids, I was like, it's going to be so great. You know, we don't have to fly into New York, which is great because I don't know if anyone listening has flown into... Anytime you fly internationally, there are certain airports you want to avoid when you have to go through immigration and it's been my experience in New York is is one of those that you want to avoid. So I'm actually happy we're flying into Boston. It's a little smaller of an airport, but we'll we'll see. Very nice. I'm just thinking my favorite thing in London was probably Tower of London. Mm-hmm. And in Paris, going back to the morbid stuff, have you been in the catacombs? I have, but I haven't had I haven't done that with my kids. And so I think they'll be old enough this time when we go back. You know what it is? I'm a total Francophile. Like I actually love the culture and the food and just how Parisians are just very unlike anywhere else in the world. And it's such a a beautiful city. I love the architecture and I don't know, I just absorb it all. I remember when I was there, we were eating on a street cafe and a girl from my film fraternity walked by. I was like, what are the odds? Makes you wonder like, 
and especially like people that you meet in the future who you might have crossed paths with. It's just crazy. How can be such a big world, but such a small world? I know. It's funny. My cousin and I were just talking yesterday and she's actually going to Paris with one of her college friends. And she was saying, oh, the exchange rate's fantastic. You know, you can really get a nice bag. And so I was like, oh, don't make me jealous. Every time I've been there, the last few times I've been there, it's like the the lines are so long that I've just has completely discouraged me from procuring a bag at a great price. So I just said, I'll live vicariously through you. Oh, the shopping. Mm-hmm. It's dangerous. Although, you know, it's funny when I'm with my my husband and my boys, I don't do a lot of shopping, which my husband really appreciates largely because teenagers don't want to be dragged into any shopping situation. And it, they've always kind of not been big shoppers. So I think that's probably been a blessing. So when we go to these amazing cities, I'm not as encouraged to go do that. My mom is just like a shopaholic. There's more estrogen in my family than testosterone where me and a, I have a sister and a brother. So my brother's the the one with all the girls. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. No, it's it's funny. My brother, I so I have one sibling and my brother has all girls and I have all boys. And I always say God has a sense of humor because if you had asked us before we had kids, I would have ended up with all girls and he would have ended up with boys. But I ended up exactly with exactly what I needed. And, you know, now that I have boys, I can't imagine like I, I have lots, I have three nieces who I love, but now that I have boys, I can't imagine things being any different. I love it. Love it. Love it. I got to see pictures of them for the first time yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. They're characters. They are characters. One in particular doesn't like his photo being taken anymore. And so I I basically told him their last day of school was June 2nd. And so I said to them, because they come, they're obviously one was in middle school, one was in high school. Now they're both going to high school in August. And I said, I didn't get my end of the year photo. And of course they were giving me a hard time. And my husband's like, you are going to stand on that porch in front of that door with your backpack and you were going to smile or we're going to leave you here. And they both kind of looked at each other like, fine. But, you know, it, it's it's amazing how when they were younger, they loved having their photos taken and they loved doing those first day and end of, you know, last day of school things. And now I hear my husband saying, you're doing it for your mother. So if anyone's listening and you understand, <laughs> I always say, just let me take one photo. So that's why I always say it's actually hard to find photos of all four of us because they do everything they can to undermine said photos. Like they'll make a funny face. They won't smile. My 14 year old scowls now on purpose, even though he's not like a kid that walks around with that expression on his face, but he'll do it on purpose. And my husband's like, your mother does so much for you. I'm like, that's right. (laughs) Just do something for me. It'll take 30 seconds. So I feel like the biggest meltdowns we had in our family were always around like taking the Christmas photo. Actually, one of the biggest inside jokes in our family is one year we were doing the Christmas photo and we had a photo of all of us in Rome at the Coliseum, but my mom didn't like that one of her. So she had me Photoshop her in to another picture at the Coliseum and we did it like in black and white and I should find it and see if it's noticeable. I guess we thought it wasn't noticeable, but I do know, I think my dad got some feedback from work colleagues being like, did you Photoshop in your... (laughs) That's hilarious. That's hilarious. But aren't we our own worst critics? Like I know sometimes I'll look at photos of me and I'm like, say to my team, don't ever use that photo again. (laughs) But it's like, once we don't like a photo, I totally get it. Yep. I'm the same way. 
Can I update listeners really quick on my magnesium supplement update? Sure. So for listeners, I know you're eagerly awaiting the launch of my magnesium. And by the time this comes out, you know what? It probably is launched by now. Maybe. No, no. You know, it's probably right on the cusp of launching. Get on my email list so you don't miss the updates. That's at avalonx.us slash email list. But my first serapeptase supplement did so, so well. The second one I'm doing is magnesium. Magnesium is just such a crucial mineral in our health and wellness. I'm always a proponent of getting nutrition from food, but it can be hard to get all of our nutrients all the time due to our depleted soil today and our our living environment and our stress depletes magnesium, our lifestyles deplete magnesium. So I think a lot of people can really benefit from a magnesium supplement. So as you guys know, I wanted to make the best form possible. So mine is going to have eight forms of magnesium, eight, because they're actually my partner and I at MD Logic, we're trying to figure this out, how many magnesium types there actually are. I think there's around like 17, actually. We picked the the eight that we think are most beneficial. And it actually has activated cofactors to help you absorb it. So it has methylated B6 and chelated manganese, no potentially toxic fillers, no rice, no seed oils, no palmitates, no sterates. It's, it's in a glass bottle. Basically, it's the best of the best. And then here's the fun thing. So we really wanted to include magnesium threonate in it, or I wanted to, which is a um, specific type of magnesium that crosses the blood-brain barrier. We had it in the initial formulation, but then we realized that in order to get the full therapeutic amount, it wasn't enough, basically. And also not everybody wants the mind effects of magnesium threonate. So we're going to release it as a Uh, like a second launch as a nightcap that basically you can add on to your magnesium if you specifically want that that relaxation effect, that sleep-inducing effect. And the amazing incentive that we're doing for that is, so my magnesium supplement is going to be called Magnesium Spectrum 8. If you get it at launch before we sell out, because I anticipate that we're probably going to sell out. So everybody who gets it from that first run You'll get a coupon code for when we launch the magnesium three and eight nightcap for a major discount. So definitely get the magnesium spectrum eight at launch before it sells out. And again, get on the email list because that's where I will be releasing the information. And in the meantime, if you'd like a discount on serapeptase or any supplements at MD Logic, you can use the coupon code Melanie Avalon for that. But I'm just really excited. Um, I've been bit by the the supplement bug. So yeah. That's very exciting. I'm very excited to to see your product and I look forward to when we can when I can share officially what I'm working on. But we're starting I'm starting to respond to people's DMs on Instagram that to stay tuned. I will definitely be creating something that is relevant to some of our past conversations. I'm so excited. I can't wait. <laughs> so um, between me and you, we're going to have people covered, I think, with like once we fill out the lines, it's going to be such an amazing resource for people who, you know, because the supplement industry is so sketchy. And so it can be really hard to find quality stuff and know what you're putting in your body and trust it. So, and it's nice that I think you and I, we were talking about this before recording, how in general, like there are a lot of things we want to do. and you know, there are things I want to do that Cynthia might not do and things Cynthia would want to do that I might not do. So I think between the both of us, it's going to be really great. 
Absolutely. And I, you know, I want to express publicly how grateful I am that you made the intro with, with this company. And I'm really excited because one of the things that I've always been very verbal about is why supplement quality is so critically important and why, generally speaking, you shouldn't source off of big websites like Amazon that most of the pharmaceutical grade companies don't third-party source. I'm saying in most instances. And so it's really nice to know that MD Logic has super high quality, super high integrity, which I think is also really important and also transparency. Yep. I'm I'm so, so grateful. And they're actually making, because some of their products right now have fillers that I like I personally wouldn't use that might not be a problem for everybody, but I personally don't like, but they're actually making a, what you said with transparency, like they're just, they are so transparent. You're not going to have to worry about the quality or things are tested for toxins. Things are tested for allergens, but they're also making steps to move towards even less of those ingredients. So definitely check out their website. We, We talked in the past about their melatonin that Cynthia really likes. Oh my goodness. I laugh about actually, it's interesting. My cousin who I think the world of and is a physician, she now listens to this podcast. And so the first thing she said after she listened to that podcast was tell me how to get (laughs) their melatonin because I need that. And so she just bought a couple bottles and I'm waiting to get her feedback. But yeah, it's very potent. I've used another brand and really did not find the potency to be equivalent at all. Meaning that MD Logic was clearly more potent and more potent means you you actually will end up using less product. And so that was really important to me. And actually, so we we actually both have codes. So you can use the coupon code Melanie Avalon or Cynthia Thurlow and get a discount on the MD Logic products. Well, shall we jump into some questions for today? Absolutely. So to start things off, we have a question from Mary. Subject is slow weight loss. And Mary says, hi, I've been listening to your podcast for the last month and I've learned a lot. I have been overweight all my life, but in my teens gained a huge amount of weight due to a shop, which we had for three years. I'm thinking maybe this fat does not want to shift because it's been there a long time stored. Can fat laid down for years impact on how slow weight loss occurs? Or do you think slow weight loss could occur because of the fact that I've passed menopause or I have an office job? I walk for 30 minutes a day in my breaks. I do mostly 24 these days. My average weight as an adult has fluctuated from 193 to 167, but I usually hover around 172. When I started IF in July after a stressful year, I was 185 and I'm down 12 pounds to 173. I'm thrilled because it has been very low and I'm aiming to get down to 145 pounds now that I'm not scared of looking old as I realize that autophagy will help with that and also remove the loose skin from my legs, which I've had all my life. I'm thinking to do the DNA test too to see if I would be better off cutting out grains altogether or not. I've included a lot here and I hope that you can give me thoughts on anything I've mentioned. Thanks in advance. And Mary is from Tasmania, which is super cool. That is super cool. Well, hi, Mary. Thank you for your question. And I would say, first and foremost, give yourself grace. You know, you've been on this journey for a long time. And I do find that when women in particular, and I don't know your age, so it's hard for me to speculate. I think that when women get north of 35, there's a little bit of, you know, hormonal flux that can make weight loss, can can give you some plateaus. So I think 
first and foremost, we have to really get back to basics. And I applaud you for your efforts thus far. You know, slow and steady wins. We don't want to be losing a non-sustainable amount of weight too quickly. We definitely want to do, you know, one to two pounds a week is really what we want to be focused on. I think that, you know, your questions about carbohydrates, I would say we really want to reframe that thinking and be making sure that we are hitting our protein macros. So, you know, during your feeding window, really focusing on on good quality animal-based protein, you know, 35 to 40 grams of protein with your meals, which is going to help with satiety, I think non-starchy carbohydrates are a great way to go. I'm not anti-carb, but really earning your carbohydrates. So if you're going to have starchy carbs like a sweet potato or root vegetables, or if you tolerate grains, keeping the portions very small, especially if you're trying to continue to lose weight and being very mindful of your physical activity. It sounds like you do a good amount of walking, which I think is fantastic. And that can help with insulin sensitivity as well. You know, if you get to a point where you want to start adding in, you know, more things that can help with insulin resistance, you know, thinking about strength training is very important. Getting high quality sleep, which means seven to eight hours a night is very important. And also understanding that if we're aligned with our own chronobiology, if we're really aligned with our sleep-wake cycles, we really want to be eating when it's light outside and and, you know, not eating when it's dark outside. Now, with that being said, I know you're in a different hemisphere and you're we're heading into summer and you're heading into winter. So that might be a little more challenging, but eating earlier in the day is going to be easier for insulin sensitivity than later in the day. And then obviously, as I mentioned, I don't know your age range, but if you are north of 35 or 40, there's a lot of things to really kind of lean into in terms of your physiology that can help as well. You definitely don't want to be over fasting around your menstrual cycle as well. But I think you're off to a great start. And yes, I do find that Insulin resistance, you know, long-term insulin resistance, inflammation and oxidative stress in the body takes a bit of time to kind of get to a point where your body's better calibrated. The other thing that I would really encourage you to do is to make sure that you are getting some baseline labs with your primary care provider or internist so you have things to compare to, you know, really looking at inflammatory markers, things like high-sensitivity CRP, looking at your fasting insulin, you know, really examining, you know, looking at you know, your lipid profile, which here in the States, we're looking at triglycerides and HDL and LDL. And then, you know, looking at your sex hormones as well to kind of get a good sense and a good baseline so that you have something to compare it to. That was all really great. (laughs) Really comprehensive. I'll just speak briefly. I'll just add to it about the, does fat not want to shift because it's been there a long time stored? And does the amount of time that it's there affect its, basically your weight loss potential? So, there's actually quite a few factors involved here. I know Cynthia and I have both interviewed Joel Green for his mind-blowing book. His book is very intense. The Immunity Code, that's what it's called, I think. So he talks a lot in his book about the extracellular matrix, the ECM. So basically, the it's kind of like the clothing on your body in a way. And how if you lose weight and your clothing is now too loose, how it is a lot of energy intensive to like alter your clothes and take it in and make it fit. And your body would almost rather just wait until you regain the weight and keep the clothes on. That was not a very scientific answer. Let me provide more context. Basically, the extracellular matrix, he talks about how every time we lose weight, this like this fluctuation in weight loss the fat cell is like having less fat in it and it still has this matrix that is 
too loose in a way for the fat cell. And the body would rather just fill up the fat cell again than actually address that matrix and make it smaller. And that's one of the reasons that the body would prefer to just regain weight rather than maintain a sustained loss. And he talks about how every time we like lose and regain and lose and regain, it actually becomes harder and harder to make the changes to that matrix. It actually becomes stiffer. So basically the longer you've had the fat, especially if you are fluctuating back and forth, which it sounds like you have done, it might make it harder each time to have a more permanent change with the fluctuations. Something else that I think is so, so huge, and this is something that people don't talk about a lot, but our exposure to endocrine receptors through our diet, our lifestyle, our environment, especially our skincare and makeup, those compounds mess with our hormones and can get stored in our fat cells. And there are even compounds called obesogens. And these are endocrine disruptors, which actually make the fat cell more likely to stay, to gain weight, more likely to be inflammatory, more insulin resistant, and less likely to lose weight. So, and then it gets even worse. So, so basically it's self-perpetuating. So when our fat cells enter this signaling state of inflammation and weight gain, they signal to the rest of the cells to also do this as well. So the longer you've been alive, the longer you've probably been exposed to endocrine receptors and obesogens, especially if you're using conventional skincare makeup. If you're using conventional skincare makeup, you're most definitely putting these compounds into your body. So that can have a huge effect. And so you you could be, you know, doing all the things and dieting, but there could be hormonal signals because of these endocrine receptors in your fat cells that are making it harder to actually lose weight. A reason that Cynthia and I love Beauty Counter, for example, because they make skincare makeup that is free of endocrine disruptors and obesogens. And there's also the number three would be the, there's a the set point theory. So this is debated and I've done deep dives into this, but it does seem that the hypothalamus in our brain basically perceives a weight that it wants to be at and it will defend that weight. And some people think that there is a timeline aspect to it. So that basically the longer you've been at a certain weight, the more your body's going to want to stay there. So it's possible that even when you lose weight, that you have to like stay at it for a certain period of time before that resets in the hypothalamus. And again, this is debated. There's not a ton of literature on it. I found some, but just anecdotally and from what I see with people, it does seem to be a thing. I say all of that to validate you and that, yes, it is quite likely that it is harder to lose the weight because of the time that you've been alive and what you've experienced. I actually want to be empowering and that all of that aside, you can definitely work with your body hormonally and through diet and with fasting. And it's not like this is a closed door. Like once you have the knowledge, you can be empowered to, to make the change that will actually work for you. Hi friends. I'm about to tell you how to get 15% off my favorite blue light blocking glasses ever. So I am often asked, what are my favorite quote, biohacking products, and something I truly, honestly cannot imagine my life without are blue light blocking glasses. So in today's modern environment, we are massively overexposed to blue light. 
It's a stimulating type of light, which can lead to stress, anxiety, headaches, and in particular, sleep issues. Blue light actually stops our bodies from producing melatonin, which is our sleep hormone. So our exposure to blue light can completely disrupt our circadian rhythm, make it hard to fall asleep, make it hard to stay asleep, and so much more. Friends, I identify as an insomniac. I would not be able to sleep without my blue light blocking glasses. I also stay up late working and wearing blue light blocking glasses at night has made it so I can do that and still fall asleep. My absolute favorite blue light blocking glasses on the market are Bon Charge, formerly known as Blue Blocks. Bon Charge makes an array of blue light blocking glasses in all different designs so you can truly find something that fits your style and reap all of the benefits of blue light blocking. They have their clear computer glasses. You can wear those during the day, especially if you're looking at screens all day to help with anxiety, headaches, and stress. They have their light sensitivity glasses. Those are tinged with a special yellow color, scientifically proven to boost mood, and they block even more blue light. Those are great for the day or evening. And then they have their blue light blocking glasses for sleep. Those are the ones that I put on at night while working before bed. Oh my goodness, friends. It's something you truly have to experience. You put on these glasses and it's like you just tell your brain, okay, it's time to go to sleep soon. They also have amazing blackout sleep masks. Those block 100% of light with zero eye pressure. I wear this every single night and I don't know how I would sleep without it. And you can get 15% off site-wide. Just go to bondcharge.com and use the coupon code IFPODCAST to save 15%. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E.com with the coupon code IFPODCAST to save 15%. All right, now back to the show. And then just the very last thing, I don't know what DNA tests you would be doing to check about the grains. Like, I'm just curious what that would be, but because normally the testing for grains would be something like a food sensitivity test, but those are heavily debated. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on food sensitivity tests, Cynthia. I mean, I do, I do see some value. I don't use them as often as I used to because I typically, when I'm working in a group, will do like a broad-based Whole30 and that usually knocks out most things that people are sensitive to, whether they're aware of it or not. I know that there's some genetic susceptibility to, there are, there's a small percentage and I don't even know the statistics offhand. There are some people that don't do as well off of grains Although I, I, do, I do find it's usually someone who's already insulin resistant that is craving the grains or craving the carbohydrates. And so I do think broad-based elimination diets like a Whole30, which there's tons of recipes. And unlike 10 years ago, when I think I first did a Whole30, you had to make your own ketchup and you had to make your own mustard, which is craziness. Now there are Whole30 compliant things that you can buy ahead of time, which is really nice. But that can oftentimes be very beneficial for people to determine what their specific threshold is. I, I do find, especially for most of the women I work with, that gluten, grains, and dairy can be hugely inflammatory, not to mention the processed sugar. So pulling them out even for a month can be very insightful. Yeah, I do think that can be the gold standard for a lot of people is doing that short-term. It might be long-term if you stay on a Whole30 type approach, but at least a short-term quote, elimination diet of sorts can really be a way to figure out what is inflammatory for you personally. And actually, this will tie into the next question. I have done, because I have my my data from, I actually did not. Did you do 23andMe? I did. I did a Facebook group version of it. It was called Genes for Good. And it was a research project on Facebook. It was 
completely free and you got your genetic data. So it basically was the equivalent of 23andMe, but I have run that data through, well, through Prometheus, which is a mind-blowing rabbit hole of looking through everything, but also through different services that will interpret it for you. And I, one of them, it, it basically told you how well you processed grains, carbs, four different food related things, and then alcohol. And I was red for everything and green for alcohol. <laughs> so basically, genetically, I was like, I'm good with with wine and nothing else, which will tie into the next question. But any other thoughts about this question? I guess there's also the um, celiac test, but that would be, it's a little bit different. And, and I don't know what's available. So obviously, Australia, you know, has, uh, you know, progressive allopathic medicine routes. I don't know what the gold standard is there. You know, here, they generally like to do biopsies. I mean, there's different ways around it, but autoimmunity is not a, not at all uncommon to see in women and especially women, you know, having all of us have been through a pandemic the last two years. We've been under unprecedented amounts of stress. Would not be at all unlikely that there could be something else at play. But that's why I think getting a check-in with your, you know, your primary, get those labs done, especially thyroid function, which I don't think I mentioned earlier, looking at those sex hormones, you know, looking at a fasting insulin, inflammatory markers, all that could be very helpful. Awesome. Shall we go to our next question? Yes. So this is from Denise. Alcohol should have cancer warning labels, say doctors and researchers pushing to raise awareness of risk. I sure enjoy your podcast and want to say thank you for all the work you do. I came across the article below and it piqued my interest. I do not drink alcohol myself, but my father and mother-in-law recently started drinking wine and or gin every night to help them sleep. My father-in-law also has high cholesterol and someone suggested he drink wine to lower it. What do you think about the article's claims of the carcinogens in alcohol? In your opinion, do the benefits outweigh the risks? I know that you promote dry farm wines, and I actually suggested to my in-laws that they check them out as a better and healthier option. I would love to talk to my in-laws about intermittent fasting for the lowering of cholesterol, but I feel that they will not understand it and just shrug it off. Do you have any advice for me on how to broach the subject in a way that they will understand the great benefits of it and at least give it a try? Thank you so much for your help. All right, Denise. Thank you for your question. And so she actually had two questions and I actually didn't plan this, but our next question ties into the cholesterol. So maybe when we get to her cholesterol question, we can read that second question and do that all together. But so to talk about the alcohol, okay, <laughs> we've been looking forward to talking about this for a while. I have so many thoughts. So first of all, I will start this off by saying I have no agenda either way about if you do or do not drink alcohol. And I, and I just say that because I know my book is What, When, Wine, and I've been very vocal about being a fan of the benefits of wine for health and how I personally really love wine. And yes, I drink dry farm wines, which we can maybe talk a little bit why we, we love them in particular. But so the thing about alcohol is whatever opinion you hold about it, if you want to support that opinion with hundreds of studies from the scientific literature, you can do that. <laughs> so, and the reason I'm saying that is because I want to step back and I, and say that I think context is so key because if you want to say it's a carcinogen and nobody should ever drink it, you can find tons of studies probably showing that on the flip side, if you want to say it's the best thing for longevity and supports heart health, then everybody should be drinking. You're going to be able to find tons of studies showing that. So I think it really does come down to the 
individual. So yes, alcohol is a carcinogen and that's what the link is talking about. That said, okay, so if it was a carcinogen, which it is, but if that was the the end, so if it's like alcohol is our carcinogen, so we shouldn't drink it, period. I don't think the epidemiological data would support what we find, which is that it often correlates to longevity, to reduce cardiovascular health. There's there's something more going on here that is beyond looking at a potentially reductionistic view of alcohol, kind of like saturated fat. I know it's not the same thing, but you could make arguments that, and a lot of people in the actually, you know, plant-based sphere will say saturated fat is a toxin and by itself is, is just something we should not have. And I don't think that takes into account the full picture of things. So as far as the actual correlations of alcohol to different health conditions, it tends to be a J-shaped curve. So what that means is basically the biggest benefits correlationally are with low to moderate alcohol consumption. So if you're a complete abstainer, if you're not drinking alcohol, in most of the studies, you actually have a higher risk of certain things like longevity and cardiovascular health than if you're actually having a small amount of alcohol or a moderate amount of alcohol. And then of course the J shape. So if you can envision like a J on a graph, it starts a little bit high and then it curves down. And so that down curve is when you are the low and the moderate drinkers. And then it shoots up because once you get to high consumption, then it's correlated to a lot of detrimental health effects. As far as the cancers specifically, so the cancers that alcohol tends to correlate to are related to parts of the body that actually touch alcohol specifically. So like throat cancer, esophageal cancer, stomach cancer, it does also correlate to breast cancer, but then other cancers, there's often found no correlation and even kidney cancer, there seems to be a reduced risk of cancer with alcohol consumption. And then other conditions that correlate to health benefits are diabetes, gallstone, stroke, and many things related to cardiovascular health. I was reading one study. It was a review of alcohol and cancer. It talks about how drinking, especially heavy drinking, does increase cancer risk, which is kind of like what she's bringing to us with this statement. But the study actually concluded that total, quote, total avoidance of alcohol, although optimum for cancer control, cannot be recommended in terms of a broad perspective of public health, in particular in countries with high incidence of cardiovascular disease. And I think that really speaks to her question because basically they're saying, yes, for cancer control, avoiding alcohol is really important. But if you take in the full picture, because of cardiovascular disease, having some alcohol intake might actually be beneficial. And then just some other last thoughts to it. So I think there is something to the context of, especially something like wine. So the role of the other compounds in wine, like polyphenols, seem to have a beneficial effect on our health. And even in the the blue zones, which I know is hotly debated, but that's seven countries that are linked to longevity and six out of seven of them all include alcohol and some part in their diet. Something else, and I feel like I'm going all over the place, but something else important to point out is that gender does play a role here and what is low or moderate drinking. And actually, Peter Tia had a really good episode recently on this that I can put a link to in the show notes. So it's recommended that women drink less than men. And there's two reasons. Well, 
there could be more, but there's probably two main reasons for that. One is that it has to do with the hydration content of our bodies and how that affects the metabolism of alcohol, as well as what is called first pass metabolism in the stomach. And women actually, because of the levels of that in the stomach, we actually experience a quicker effect from alcohol than men do. That was all over the place, but to step back, (laughs) basically, I think context is key. What is the role of alcohol in your diet? So for example, Denise says that her father and mother are taking it to help them sleep. So that is not a reason I would suggest somebody take alcohol to help them sleep because while it is a depressant and it can make you feel sleepy, it actually can have a rebound effect and cause reduce quality sleep in the long term. I think the reason that you're having alcohol is important to consider. I wouldn't take it to induce sleep. Like I would not take it for that reason. I mean, I would take it though. Maybe she's talking about high cholesterol and the benefits there. That might be a reason to include it in your diet. And I also think maybe a reason that we see a lot of longevity with people who drink could be the, especially not the heavy drinkers, but just people who have it like in their life as a as part of a healthy lifestyle, I think there's a a social aspect to it. So not advocating turning to alcohol for stress relief, but I think some people, especially low to moderate drinkers, it's a part of their ritual. It's part of their lifestyle. It does provide stress relieving benefits. And I don't think we should discount that because I think that can have a huge, huge effect on health. And I do want to mention, because a lot of studies will find that, like I said, that low to moderate drinking is better than complete abstainers. That's a little bit confusing though, because People who abstain often were heavy drinkers, so the data might be a little bit convoluted and that it it can be hard to separate people who don't drink at all from people who were alcoholics and just aren't drinking now. That was all over the place. Cynthia, I'll let you provide some perspectives. Yeah, you brought up some really good points. And and like you said at the very beginning of the answer to that question is that there's almost always research that will support whatever prevailing philosophy you have. I do, however, want to be very transparent and say that, you know, one of the things about alcohol that a lot of people don't talk about is people drink alcohol because they think it helps them sleep. And we know that it disrupts your REM sleep. It reduces melatonin, it increases cortisol, it dysregulates your blood sugar. For people who suffer with hot flashes, it can actually make them worse. You know, the vasomotor symptoms a lot of people experience in perimenopause and menopause. There's actually some research to demonstrate that alcohol, of course, is a, is considered to be a toxin and it can actually shrink the hippocampus, uh, which is the part of the brain that actually helps regulate the HPA or the hypothalamus pituitary axis, which why is that important? Because this is our, you know, our main communicator from our brain to our endocrine system. And so, you know, if this is dysregulated and for a lot of people it has been, and we've dealt with a lot of stress the last two years. And so a lot of the work that I do is helping people understand the interrelationship between stress and the net impact on the body. The other thing that I would, you know, that I would mention that I think is important about alcohol is we know it impairs estrogen metabolism. And so most of our estrogen metabolism occurs in the liver. We have, you know, phase one and phase two liver detoxification. And it's important to understand that this puts a, a burden on the liver. If you're drinking excessively and often, it can actually impair the way that your body packages up and gets rid of estrogen. And Melanie touched on earlier, we can get exposed to estrogen mimicking chemicals in our environment, personal care products and food. And you laden that on with 
a lot of alcohol drinking, it can really, you know, up your risk of things like fibroids and even breast cancer. And it's interesting, a lot of the work that I do is is looking at women's breast cancer risks. And so you really have to make the decision that makes most sense for you. And and there's no judgment from either of us about whether people choose to drink or they don't choose to drink, but you want to make sure that you're doing it responsibly. And and obviously if you're drinking alcohol to help you sleep, it really isn't helping you sleep. And if you're drinking alcohol to help manage stress, we have to be thinking broadly about ways that we can manage that really effectively. And the last thing that I want to add is that, you know, I, I moved from a, a very much a drinking culture, you know, the the environment that I lived in in my last city. And so I, I think for a lot of women, there's the mommy drinking culture and just being aware, like building awareness about our habits and how that can influence decisions that we make. You know, the joke is, you know, I, I don't drink alcohol because it's the only thing that gives me hot flashes and it wrecks my sleep. And so that's my personal choice. But obviously, I work with many women who do choose to drink alcohol. And I always look at it from a very objective opinion to make sure that people fully understand the impact of alcohol and just being responsible about it. I think that's the big takeaway that I would say that I think is important that I love that you know, this young woman is so concerned about her in-laws and wants to help educate them about good decision-making. And maybe it really needs to just come from a place of, sometimes with men, I feel like if you're really straightforward and just let them know, actually, it's not helping your sleep, let's think of some other ways to help you sleep. That might be an effective strategy. I love that. And, and I also think it's important. I know Cynthia and I have talked about this. I think it's very possible to understand that alcohol may or may not work for some people and may be a detriment to some people and still provide a resource to people that who do want to drink. So like, like the dry farm wines, for example, because Cynthia, you don't, you don't drink, right? No, I don't. I, I made that decision during the pandemic. Cause I was like, you know, it's the only thing that makes me get hot flashes and it's the only, and it just wrecks my sleep. And so in, in my hierarchy of my life, as a 50-year-old woman, my sleep is pretty important. So <laughs> because of that, the one thing that I needed to eliminate, and it's amazing to me, Melanie, how triggering that is for people. And I always say, like, I don't judge what other people do. We even had a, a party at our house last night, and it made people uncomfortable that I wasn't drinking. I said, I'm totally fine. I'm here drinking my Element electrolytes, and I'm great. Like, I'm totally happy because I'm not going to go to bed dehydrated. I'm not going to go to bed and wreck my sleep. I'm going to hit the pillow and I'm not going to wake up until I wake up. Just it's a very interesting dynamic. As I try to navigate, you know, reassuring people, I'm completely, you know, fine in this space. I'm I, There are no issues that I have whatsoever if people choose to drink. And of course, my husband drinks responsibly, but it's an interesting place to navigate, figuring out what works best for us. And the end of one, you know, that very powerful value of bioindividuality, figuring out what works for you or what doesn't. It's similar to, I feel, if you are doing fasting and you're not partaking in the food situation for whatever reason at a social gathering and people, you know, can be very triggered or pressure you to, you know, that you need to be eating to enjoy yourself. And like, cause like I'll go to, especially if I go to a, so not like a dinner, but like a, you know, a gathering where there's food involved. I'll often just not eat. Like I'd just rather, I just would be happier if I go and then I'll eat later. It's so interesting how people, like the social pressure, I used to really struggle with it, but now I just realize like, I don't owe anybody anything. I can just do what will make me feel the best in the situation. But social pressure is definitely very interesting. Oh, absolutely. 
going back to the dry farm wines, like, so you don't drink, but, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like based on the conversation that we just had, I think we can both understand for some people that they do have a healthy relationship with alcohol. And like, so for them, like it's beneficial that we can provide a resource like dry farm wines, for example. So for the people who do want to drink can do it in the healthiest way. Exactly. To have healthy choices. Yeah. And I think one of the things I did not know until, you know, I dove down that wine rabbit hole is just how many contaminants are in wine and how they're exposed to so many chemicals and how most of the, you know, wineries here in the United States really don't even protect consumers. And so that was something that when I found that out, I was like, wow. And so I I make... (laughs) I make good use of buying dry farm wines for family members or friends as gifts and just to try to introduce them to products that are certainly cleaner and safer. Yeah. So for listeners who aren't familiar with dry farm wines, because it's really shocking if you think about it, like if you go buy a bottle of wine, there's not a label, like a, there's not a nutrition label. There's It doesn't show the ingredients. So you, you would think it's just fermented grapes, but it's not usually especially in conventional wines in the U.S. They have additives, they have stabilizers, they have colorizers. There's something called mega purple, which is actually to make wine look more purple. If you've ever had wine, especially if it's cheaper wine, and you've noticed that it really stains your teeth like red, wine shouldn't do that. Like Not to the extent that it can when you're drinking cheap wine. It's not from the grapes. It's from this mega purple color additive, which is just shocking to me. So dry farm wines, I am obsessed with dry farm wines. They're all I drink. So they go throughout Europe and they find, they won't even do wines from the US because they said none of the wines in the US meet their standards. So they find all of these wineries practicing organic practices because there are a lot of wineries that are being organic, but they don't have the time or the money to get an organic you know, certification, they test the wines and then they make sure the wines are free of toxins, free of additives, free of mold, free of pesticides, dry farmed, meaning they're not pumped up with water. The wines are also low alcohol and low sugar. So they're all 12.5% alcohol or less. And they're all less than, uh, is it 0.5 or one gram of sugar? They're all low sugar. When I drink dry farm wines, it's such a difference. Now when I drink, quote, normal wine, if I'm like at a dinner or something, I'm like, oh, this is so, you know, either too sweet or high alcohol. So I really, really recommend them. So you you can actually get a bottle for a penny at our link, which is at dryfarmwines.com slash ifpodcast. So, and I as well, Cynthia, I gift it to so many people, especially when the holidays come. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to send the dry farm wines to all the people. No, and it's so easy. I mean, it's funny. My husband really likes their reds and, and, the thing about dry farm wines is you get like three bottles or you get six bottles or 12 bottles. And so they pick them out for you. And my husband, who is pretty picky about his red wine, actually, he's really liked what they've been sending recently. I think they've really evolved because I've been promoting them since almost, I mean, a long time. And in the beginning, I just think they've, they've found so many more wineries that the wines just continue to get better and better. And what's really cool you can do, I did this literally yesterday because like Cynthia said, you get a mixed collection of wines. You don't choose them. If there's one that you really like, you can actually email them and order that bottle specifically. So like you can do an order of three. I asked if I could get two of one and then one of another. And they were actually out of the one, but they said that they would pick one that was similar to it and put that in there. So 
I'm excited. Do you want to hear a fun fact? Yes. I love fun facts. Yes. So I am speaking at an event in July here in Virginia, which never happens. So like unicorn event in Virginia. And it's me and Vinny Tortorich and Dr. Phil Avadia, who's this cardiovascular surgeon who's like changed his life by eating a low carb lifestyle and fasting. And then actually Todd White will be there. Oh, nice. I'll get to meet him in person. I've actually interviewed him twice, I think. Have you interviewed him on your show? I have not. It's like on our, you know, fall to-do list, as I'm sure you know, as a podcast, you know, when you you have a podcast where you have people and we're like booking into December and some people want us to create other slots. And I'm really, now that the book launch is behind me, I'm trying to be very deliberate about my availability because as an example, I have three podcasts this week to record and, you know, sometimes the unicorns pop up and you have to say yes. Like both you and I are interviewing Mark Sisson this week, which is really super duper exciting. And it's just, it's hard to find balance. Like I struggle constantly. And one thing I've, I've told my family is heading into the summer, I'm just like, I will, I'm always working in my business, but I'm only working in my business where I'm visible on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays this summer. Cause I want to be able to spend time with my kids and not be working constantly. So hopefully I'll get to interview him in the fall. For Mark Sisson, was that was that like a last minute? Was that a spontaneous thing? It was. The opportunity came up. I was told he was in town, literally in the country for two days. And so I was like, I have an opening on Tuesday. I'll make that happen. And so it was that spontaneous. Wow. I wonder if the two days are because I'm interviewing him the day after you. Yeah, exactly. I think that's exactly what it is. And then I think he's out of the country again. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, when you have those unicorn interviews. And one thing I think is really cool about, I know this isn't relevant to this podcast, but I'm sure listeners, like we've interviewed some people, we've had overlap and others we haven't, but I've listened to your interviews that I've done interviews with and we get different information. Like if you're a really good interviewee, you can get different information. Like I'm sure you probably have interviewed people that they spout the same rhetoric to everyone they talk to. But I think we've been fortunate that we've, been able to interview some pretty dynamic individuals that really make interviewing them just such a blessing and such an amazing experience. I know I'm I'm so grateful and yeah, I'm so excited to see how both of our interviews go. I, I'm sure Mark doesn't remember me, but I met him actually in what well, not intentionally met him. I literally was not paying attention. My head was going in one direction, and my body was going another, and I bumped into him, and he was very polite, and I that's what struck me. He was incredibly polite. And I didn't realize like when I ran into him who it was until like I fan geeked after he walked away. And then I was like, oh my God, I just ran into Mark Sisson. Like, how does that happen? And he could not have been more polite. I love that. I love that. Can I tell you what was my funniest celebrity run-in moment that I didn't realize? Kind of like yours that you didn't realize. So this is so funny. I was doing a really small little featured bit in a commercial I didn't know much about the project. And so the director came up to me and he said his name and I didn't really hear. And then I said, sorry, what was your name again? <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> he said his name and then he like walked like aside. And then I like specifically sought him out and said like, sorry, what was your name again? It was Lance Bass. Well, I guess that's kind of forgivable. I think it's good to be humbled. Like I really, really think it's important to be humbled. Like it's been my experience. Like sometimes I go to events or places and everyone knows me. And sometimes I go to events and people, no one knows me. And I always say to my husband, who's usually with me, it's actually good 
to be humbled. Like it's actually a good thing to sometimes have people not know who you are. It was just funny because I remember I said, what was your name again? And he said, Lance. And then I walked away and I was like, oh, but um, (laughs) I think that's hilarious. Like I said, it's good to be humbled, right? Growing up, I was very sheltered. So I was like in seeing Backstreet Boys, Britney, like I was exposed to them through like school and like the skate rink, but they were not like in my collection. I was not like watching, like listening to their stuff at home. So, so, okay. So I'm now curious, what does I was sheltered mean? Like, what does that represent? I want more information. A very Christian, I don't know. I don't want to say moral because that sounds like you're not moral if you're not Christian, but that whole, everything had to be filtered through like focus on the family and like nothing sexual and apparent, you know, so things like Britney Spears and even NSYNC and all of that was not something I was, I was listening to like the Christian pop stuff. Do you want to hear something funny? The very first time I saw Britney Spears, like on a video, I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to be a flash in the pan. Really? (laughs) Well, because you have to remember, like I was at a different stage of life. I was in my twenties and I was kind of like, what is this? Because it was so highly sexualized, like her very first single that came out that I remember we were at a party and like the, of course, all the guys were gawking at her. And I remember just thinking like, oh, this is like, you know, every other teeny bopper, teenage, you know, over-sexualized singer that's out there. Boy, was I wrong. Like, because I know a lot of people can feel like they were suppressed or, you know, that they, they could be resentful. I'm not a rebellious type and I don't feel bothered by that upbringing specifically. But even looking back now, I'm like, oh yeah, that, I don't think my mom was being crazy and like not wanting me to, not wanting me as like a third grade girl to be watching Britney Spears' stuff. Like looking at it now, I'm like, oh yeah, that is a little bit sexual. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I view things through the eyes of a parent. Like my husband and I were making returns, which this is completely irrelevant to the conversation, but I'm going to share just to share. I'm the type of person, I'm now in a city where the shopping is terrible. And so I buy a bunch of stuff online and I just bring it all back. And so my husband was walking around with me as I was making these returns and there were a couple of young women that passed us who were probably teenagers, maybe, maybe early 20s. And my husband was like, thank God we have boys because I don't know what I would do if my daughter walked out of the house, like with her boobs hanging out and like super short, like booty shorts. And I know that a lot of that's the style and it's not a judgment. It's just, it was just funny that he said that because of course with boys, there's a lot less options for them. And certainly there's not stuff hanging out when they go out, but it's very interesting, like viewing things as a parent, like things that I maybe weren't on my radar in my 20s and 30s that I now see and I'm like, oh God, that's bad. Meaning it's just, it's like that's an over-sexualized representation of what a young woman, you know, could be doing for herself positively or negatively. Yeah. Friday nights were the, the Friday night skate nights and I loved it because that's when I got to hear all the music because it's really, I mean, it was like the, it was like the prime time of really good solid pop music. I mean, like (laughs) her music's really amazing for pop music. So needless to say, that is why I did not recognize Lance Bass as my excuse. I think that's a good thing. You probably humbled him enormously. Okay. And then to briefly address Denise's other question, and I'll go ahead and read the second question we had because it all ties together. So Deborah, her subject was LDL higher since IF. She just said, I've gotten my best friend to join me in IF, but after only two months, her blood work came back with an LDL of 148. Previously, it was completely normal. Her son, who was an RN, told her that's why he stopped IF. Help, 
research on this. And then as a refresher, so Denise's question was about intermittent fasting for lowering cholesterol and actually advocating it to her in-laws. And did we have any thoughts about that? So fasting and cholesterol. Okay. I think everyone by now knows my whole background as an NP for 16 years was in cardiology. So you better believe I have seen a lot of lipid panels, both straightforward lipid panels, which are totally total cholesterol, HDL, LDL, triglycerides, and then advanced lipid analysis. So number one, you know, I don't really worry about total cholesterol. In fact, we don't want it to be too low. I had patients on very, very powerful lipid-lowering agents, and when their total cholesterol got close to 100, you have to remember what cleaves off of cholesterol, and that includes our sex hormones. So how many patients had erectile dysfunction and other issues related to too low cholesterol? So you don't want to be looking for a too low of a total cholesterol. I'm not sure if she was specifically referring to triglycerides and HDL, which I typically see being abnormal, meaning triglycerides over 150 HDL for men being under 45, women under 55, we know those are pathologic. With that being said, I do generally, when I see someone with an LDL that's quote unquote, air quotes, abnormal, I want more information. And I actually don't think 148 for an LDL is all that bad. What you want is more information. You want an advanced lipid analysis. You want to look at particle size. This is super important because not all LDL is bad. And I think we have to start really refamiliarizing yourself. And this includes healthcare professionals and the general public. There are a lot of physicians and nurses and nurse practitioners who are practicing with 30-year-old medicine. I see it all the time because I get this question probably five or six times a week. The first thing is you need more information. So you need to do an advanced lipid analysis. We used to call it a VAP. I'm not sure what your insurance coverage will cover or even if you're physician or nurse practitioner are even going to order this, but it is generally covered by insurance. It's looking at LDL particle size. You want light and fluffy, you know, kind of like light, fluffy, non-atherogenic LDL cholesterol is benign. That's actually what I have. Number two, if it's small and dense and you also have concomitant risk factors for cardiovascular disease or you're insulin resistant or diabetic, then you've got work to do. And generally first line of defense is lifestyle management. So Can intermittent fasting be part of that? Absolutely. Have I read anything that suggests that you you are going to have a worsening of your lipid panel relevant to fasting? No, but it's interesting. You know, I always think about Dave Feldman's work. So he's an engineer, entrepreneur, and he is doing research in this area. He's changing the way clinicians are practicing because of the work that he's doing. And there's actually something called a lean mass hyper responder. It is beyond the scope of this discussion, but I highly recommend you check out my podcast that I did with him at the tail end of 2020. He's doing a lot of really interesting research. And there are a lot of people who actually in a low carb, ketogenic, fasted state will actually produce more cholesterol, but it's not pathogenic. And so I definitely encourage you to dig a little bit deeper, get those advanced lipid analysis done. They are covered by insurance. Not all LDL is bad. And I, and I want that to die a death on a hill because there are a lot of people that are stressed and worried needlessly. The other thing that I want to reemphasize is we do not want our total cholesterol to be too low. So when someone says it's high, my question is always quantify it. When you're sending us questions, please tell us how old you are. And please tell us what it is that if it's too high, tell me what that is. Tell me what the lab is so that I can at least lay my eyes on it. But I would say, you know, don't 
don't not fast because of your concerns relevant to total cholesterol, which is bogus. Not saying you're bogus, but the the claims that fasting is somehow going to hurt your cholesterol are bogus. And the other thing is if you're told that your LDL is quote unquote too high, you want more information before you get yourself into a panic. I thought that was very comprehensive and you have so much more of a knowledge base about this than I do. So I'm super grateful for that. The only thing I will add to it is that if you Google, go to Google Scholar, you can actually find a lot of studies looking at fasting and cardiovascular health. I'll put links in the show notes to one I found because it was about this specifically. It was time-restricted eating to improve cardiovascular health. And it was a 2021 review looking at everything. But Basically, it concluded that the the effects of fasting on cholesterol tend to improve parameters when it comes to that and decrease total cholesterol, even though I know Cynthia was just talking about that's not necessarily always the thing, but tends to have a beneficial effect on LDL. Interestingly, some studies don't find, sometimes don't find any effects on HDL. Not really sure what's going on there, but in general fasting seems to have a beneficial effect on our cholesterol panels. And and something that people can experience is an increase in cholesterol transiently due to weight loss. So that can be something to consider because you're freeing up, basically if you're freeing up all of the stored fat and triglycerides and it can lead to a transient increase in cholesterol levels, but it's not necessarily, doesn't mean that they're increasing over the long term. Hi friends, super exciting announcement. Berberine subscriptions are here and this is your chance to get grandfathered in to a massive discount for life. Berberine is an incredible supplement that I love and which is amazing, especially for this audience. It is a plant alkaloid that has been used for thousands of years in traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine, and it rivals the effect of metformin when it comes to blood sugar control. That's right, if you're looking to take charge of your blood sugar levels, berberine can be an incredible tool in your arsenal to help achieve that. I have noticed huge differences on my CGM, my continuous glucose monitor, when I take berberine. I've personally seen a 20-point drop in my postprandial blood sugar levels when I take berberine, and it's not just me. Friends have told me that. You guys in the audience have told me that. Influencers have reported that back. It truly is incredible. And it's not just blood glucose control. Berberine has so many other potential health benefits. It can help modulate inflammation, beneficially affect cholesterol levels, support the gut microbiome, and even activate the longevity pathway, AMPK. That's something that we talk a lot about with fasting specifically. Berberine can actually help do that as well. It took quite a while to bring it to market because we couldn't find a berberine source that tested for all of the purity and potency that we wanted. We finally did find a source. That's the one that you get in Avalon X. It's tested multiple times for purity and potency and to be free of all common allergens as well as heavy metals and mold, which you guys know is so important to me. So if you'd like to have berberine in your daily life and help save money as well as be more sustainable for you and the planet, you need a subscription. It helps reduce packaging and shipping energy. And ultimately, we want to create it all in one large bottle like we did recently with my serapeptase supplement. But here's the thing. We want to make sure that we give you guys the right amount of capsules perfect for you. So we are doing a special subscription launch where you guys can actually choose between two different options, two bottles every two months or two bottles every three months. 
you will get grandfathered into a 22% off discount for life as long as you keep the subscription active. So now is the time to grab the subscription. And then based on how that goes, whichever is more popular, the two bottles every two months or the two bottles every three months, that will help us decide which type of subscription to launch when we do the large bottle. So this is your chance to snag an incredible discount on Avalon X Berberine 500 and help us figure out what you guys really want in the future with the large bottle option. This is live now and ends July 17th, so snag this deal while you can. That's at avalonx.us. And to stay up to date on all of the latest specials and discounts, definitely get on my email list. That's at avalonx.us slash email list. And you can get text updates and a 20% off code when you text avalonx to 877-861-8318. Of course, you can always use the coupon code MelanieAvalon site-wide to get 10% off all of my products, as well as all of the products from my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. So again, grab that Berberine subscription, let us know what you want, get grandfathered in to an incredible discount for life and take charge of your blood sugar control. All right, now back to the show. And then one other last thing I was going to mention, what was it? Um, Wait, it'll come to me. One thing I just wanted to say while you're thinking about that is you think about the reduction in inflammation and oxidative stress and the improvement in mitochondrial efficiency relevant to vis-a-vis eating less frequently and changing, you know, your macros is pretty significant. So that's just something to keep in mind. I I think, unfortunately, we, and I say we as an allopathic trained physicians and and nurses many times just are so reactionary instead of thinking, you know, what could be going on? I try to be very, very respectful of my, my peers. And there are a lot of people doing some tremendous work, but this is definitely an area of medicine that I have gotten more and more outspoken about that we really need to turn the tide and stop focusing on the wrong parameters. I thought of it. And also, I'm so glad that you said that because that was something I wanted to touch on was I think it can be a little bit nearsighted to just look at fasting. and Because like with Deborah's question, she's talking about fasting was the thing that raised her LDL, which unlikely to me, but the broader context of the effects of dietary interventions is just huge. Like I I would look at diet as a a key player in your cholesterol. But the two things I just thought of, one was I interviewed Azure Grant on the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. Her focus is actually ultradian rhythms. So um, basically the different time rhythms and cells and she's done a lot of work that helped influence the work of Aura Ring. That's how I was connected to her through um, Harpreet, who used to be the CEO of Aura. But in any case, she has a fascinating study where they tested cholesterol levels in a group of people constantly throughout the day, which is super cool. So like these people were testing their cholesterol, which must have been very unpleasant with all of the pricks, but all throughout the day. And the fluctuations in the levels were crazy. And Every single person at some point during the day had a result that went into the pathological levels, even if they probably didn't have a pathological panel. The point of that is that when you test, like it was 148, but if you had tested, you know, at a different time during that day, it might've been completely different. So I think that's why it's actually important to be regularly monitoring these things. I use Inside Tracker to keep all of my data together and it's amazing because I can see over time, I put my cholesterol panels in there because we can get really microscopic and just see this one result. And it can be hard to see the overall picture of like, what does my panel look like 
in general? Where am I moving? Where am I trending? How are the different levels relating? So I have my cholesterol levels since I started using Inside Tracker in 2019. And looking at those graphs has been very, very helpful for me to, I think, get a more, I guess, telling picture of what's happening. But yeah, a lot of good stuff. I got to interview Dave Feldman sometime. He's amazing. So we spoke together at Keto Salt Lake, and that was the first time I had met him. And my husband got to meet him in person. And Dave went on a tangent talking to me to a level that at one point I was like, Dave, you just blew my mind. Like he's absolutely one of the smartest people I've ever met and just brilliant. Like he's doing cutting edge research in relationship to LDL particles and cholesterol. And he's really changing the narrative for medicine. And I'm just so very grateful to have had the opportunity to, you know, speak with him and, you know, also be his friend. So I would absolutely encourage you to to connect with him. He's just so smart. Like he'll blow your mind. <laughs> You'll have a good meeting of the minds with him for sure. I'm so fascinated by all of the cholesterol stuff because it, it it is just so debated. And there are like, you know, some really intense camps. It's confusing. <laughs> so, well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. These show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 271. Those show notes will have all of the links to everything that we talked about, which was a lot of stuff, as well as a full transcript. So definitely check that out. And then you can follow us on Instagram. I am Melanie Avalon. Cynthia is Cynthia underscore Thurlow underscore. And our joint account is IF Podcast. So definitely check that out. Alrighty. Well, Cynthia, enjoy your trip. I can't wait. I'm so excited. I'll be posting as much as I can photos of our journey, but I'm really so excited. And it's been a very exciting last six months, but I am ready to kind of disconnect and, you know, get rejuvenated. You know, we took a big vacation in December and I planned this like at the same time, knowing that I would need it. And I'm so glad that I did. Well, I am so excited for you. I can't wait to see and hear all about it. And I'm actually, I'm glad we're talking about this now for listeners. Since Cynthia will be traveling next week, we're going to air an episode that I did recently with Rick Johnson. Cynthia and I are both (laughs) major fans of Rick. His work is so mind-blowing. So get really excited because I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So that'll be next week. So, alrighty. Well, This has been absolutely wonderful and I will talk to you in two weeks. Sounds good, my friend. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.